Okay, cool. So why don't we just start out with, um, tell me your name and where you're from. Okay. Um, Robert Papa, known as Bob, uh, raised, uh, born in Brooklyn, New York, and raised in Clifton, New Jersey. Moved there when I was a year old. Right. We have uh, seven children and two adults. There's nine of us. And we were in a, I don't know if you were ever in the house on Graham Place in the Quackenack Gardens. Were you ever there? Um, well, I was at the other, I was at one house. I mean, I remember Grandy's house, but I don't know if it's the one. Okay, that's the house. That's two Graham Place. That's where we grew up. We, we, we grew up there. I, I moved in there when I was a year old. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the kids were born and so forth and so forth. And uh, there was probably, I don't know, 900 to 1,000 square feet. And we had, uh, originally we had three bedrooms and doubled up and everything. And then uh, eventually we, we, it was a two-family house. So my father broke through the two bedrooms in the back. So we had five bedrooms and he rented out the other half with one bedroom. So we all doubled up. Um, Uncle Tony and I were in one bedroom. Uncle Al and your father, your grandfather were in another bedroom. Mm -hmm. And Linda and Camille were in another bedroom. Josephine had her own bedroom. And then my mother and father were in the back bedroom. Oh, wow. It's I, a lot of kids in, in uh, one house, huh? Yes, seven. Seven <laughs> children. Yeah, what was that like? Uh, well, one bathroom. You know, and so that got a little hairy. And um, I can't, we had one phone and um, it was a party phone in those days where uh, neighbors got on the same or on the same line. So if you were talking, uh, they um, the other person would say, I need to use the phone. You know, so you'd have to get yeah. up. And um, I know one day I was uh, I was Aunt Betsy and I started dating in high school. And we were on the phone talking a lot. My father came home from work so upset, went in, grabbed the phone, ripped it out of the wall. He said, why do I need this phone if I can't ever use it? <laughs> so, and, yeah, so uh, it, was, it was a little hairy, you know. Um, we grew up, and uh, I was just talking to my sister Josephine about this, that uh, did you, she said, do you, did you think we were poor? And I said, I, I never thought about it. I knew we didn't have any money, but I never thought about being poor. Yeah. You know, because we always had enough to get by and do things, you know. And um, when we were kids, we'd get a pair of shoes in the um, school, at the start of the school year, a pair of slacks and, and uh, a couple of shirts. And that my mother washed every day, every night she'd be washing clothes and stuff. So we're always, everybody was clean and neat and went. And I can remember uh, when we went to a party um, when we were all adults and married and uh, we had a 50s party with our family. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was going to be humorous. And I, I cut the, the sole off my shoe. <laughs> I cut it, opened it up and put a hole in it. And I went there because that when we were kids, you had one pair of shoes in the middle of the year. You'd wear out the sole. So you, what you did was you cut little cardboard squares and you put them in your pocket. So when you'd wear it out, you'd put a new one in. And if it rained, you had to have a bunch. <laughs> so I, I went to the party. I went to the party and uh, 
I come walking in and there's my brother Tony sitting on a chair with a flap on his thing in a hole in it. He thought the same thing. Uh, what we didn't realize, my mother got a little upset about that, you know. So that, that's not true. That never happened. I said, but it did, you know. But anyway, um, so we had, a, we had a great childhood. There was, a, in the Quackneck Garden, there was maybe about 200 houses. And so all the kids knew everybody else and stuff. We went to the park and spent a lot of time at the park with kids and stuff, you know. And uh, I can remember one incident where, you know, I, I don't know if this is uh, anything, but uh, Tony and I were going to the park. And we were probably 10 and 11. And Uncle Al and um, <laughs> your father were going to follow us. And they were maybe six and three or something, you know, and they were following us. So Uncle Tony said, get, don't, get home, don't follow us. And he took a big boulder and he threw it on the ground like he was throwing it at him. But he rolled it and your father hit the ground laying down and it hit him in the head. <laughs> a couple no. of stitches. Hold on a minute. Beth, please don't interfere. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, it was just one of the incidents, the things that had happened to us over the years, you know. And uh, we always went to the park. Everybody had a whistle. Every father had a whistle. You know, you, you heard that whistle, and that was your father. You had to run home. And that was usually when it started to get dark, like 5 o'clock, whatever. Yeah. And then we'd all run home and stuff. And then uh, Grandma would uh, always cook a big pot of sauce. Uh, spaghetti and sauce mm -hmm. and stuff, and neighbors would, kids would come by, and we'd say, oh, come on in, get another plate, you know, and they did that constantly, you know, and stuff, and we were the first ones that had a TV, we had an 11-inch TV in the living room, and all the kids would come over from the neighborhood, and we'd sit in there and watch Howdy Doody and all those different shows that were on at that time, um, yeah. so, so we all grew up, you know, pretty happy. You know, everybody's pretty happy. Everybody had their ups and downs with things and stuff. But uh, we knew we were well loved by our mother and father, you know, and stuff. And they, you know, always we always came first and stuff. So it was it was quite a quite a childhood for us, you know. And um, what happened was I don't know, you know, I can tell you about me, you know, and I, I can tell you what uh, was inside my other uh, brothers and sisters, but. Uh, my, um, you know, I, I went to high school and, and uh, met Betsy, uh, Aunt Betsy, and I was 14, she was 15, and we started dating and stuff, and we've been together 64 years now. Oh, wow. You know? 64 years, holy cow. Four years, we've been married 57. That's amazing. So, and we, we were together another six, I guess it was five or six before that, you know. Whatever it was. So you met each other in, in high school? Yes. Yeah. We met each other in high school. I was a sophomore and she was a junior. And she had a locker next to me and she would hang around her locker till I came in the morning. And she'd say, hello, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And we talked and stuff. And then she started a, she uh, formed a Sadie Hawkins dance. So the guy, the girls could ask the boys to go because I was so shy. I never would have asked her out. So she, uh. She asked me out. I was nervous as hell. So that's how we started dating. And, you know, the rest is history. We've been dating ever since through high school, through college, you know, and uh, got married right after that, right after college, you know. Um, and uh, we, we uh, I took a job out in Chicago 
and we moved out. And then I got an opportunity to come back, so I transferred back to Clifton. And um, we bought a house on Grove Street in Clifton. And uh, I guess we were there nine years. And we sold, moved to another house in Wayne in nine years. Then moved to another house in nine years to, to uh, Kennelon. We stayed there for 15 years and then retired and moved to, moved to Florida, to, Nate, to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. And stayed there for like nine years, then moved over to, uh, to Naples because my daughter Lori is here with her kids. And then Jesse came with us. I don't know if you know Jesse. They was, uh, yeah, I remember Jesse. We adopted her. And she had yeah, one leg. She she was born with one with a miniature leg, and so uh, yeah. we went to church. And they said, you know, would anybody uh, want to be a, a a family that could take in some kids for a week while they come from foreign countries and get uh, the me medicine or operations or whatever they needed? So we said, yeah, what the heck? Our kids were grown, so we did that. And so Jesse came with us for two weeks and. Uh, we ended up adopting her, and she's been with us 33 years now. So, and she oh, has wow. a little baby boy, a little grandson. James was six, you know. Cute. And where does she live now? She lives in Naples. She lives by us. Okay. Yeah, she just bought a home cool. in Naples uh, with her husband, Caesar, and uh, they have their six-year-old son, James. And so we see them all the time, and, and Lori's here, too. My two boys, Mark and R.C., are in, in, uh, one's in Wayne. And the others in New Providence, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have, uh, they have, uh, we have thirteen grandchildren. You know, I'll tell you a little side interesting amazing. story. I don't know if you've heard it from your grandfather, but what happened was um, Betsy and I had uh, had broken up for a couple of months and stuff. She came back. We got back together. Um, we went to a went to a wedding. Why did you break up? Do you remember why you broke up? Uh, she just wanted to date other guys and stuff, you know, for some crazy reason. I I always knew that she she was the one I wanted to marry, but uh, I guess she didn't feel that way initially. So she she knew she made a mistake and uh, came back home. What had happened? How was, old were you when that happened? Mm -hmm. That happened in 1963. What happened was um, she ended up getting married to a guy at there. And it lasted uh, one or two weeks, and she knew she made a mistake. So she left school, called, uh, came down to see me. I was at the University of Notre Dame at the time. She came down to see mm -hmm. me, and I said, well, we'll talk after I get home Christmas time. So... I came home Christmas time, and uh, we went to a wedding together of, of high school friends. And um, nine months later, Betsy was pregnant. So what happened was she didn't have her annulment yet, so we really couldn't do anything. Mm. So her mother got all nervous and jerky and says, "You have to, you have to let the baby go. You know, you have to let it go for adoption." So Dr. Campbell and Ridgewood said, "I can take care of that for you." So he sent her to, to Florida. She had the baby, and um, and that was it. Then we got back together again. We ended up, you know, we naturally we got married and everything. Oh wow! So uh, I had tried to find her. I knew she was living. Oh, the, what happened was 
we got the adoption papers that came from um, Passaic County and a judge. And the judge lived up the street from Betsy's parents. Mm -hmm. So he called and says, do you really want to go through with this? You know, I know your family and everything. Does Betsy want to do this? And she said, yes. Yes, she does and stuff. So uh, we knew that she had gotten adopted by uh, Dr. Campbell, who uh, and ended up delivering our next two babies, you know, Mark and RC. So anyway, um, the, the reason I'm telling you the story, because it has an uh, unbelievable ending. So she, um, she lived there. I tried to see her. I couldn't. Uh, we went to a play, a, a girlfriend invited us to a play. So we went there and we didn't, we met her and stuff. And that was it. That was the last we had seen of her. So when we were on a ski, we never told our kids. So we went on a ski trip with the, with the kids. They were in their, I guess, late twenties. And we said, we got to tell you something, you know, you've got a sister. Oh, wow. So, um, and the interesting thing was that, you know, when people have a kid like that and give it up for adoption, it's usually just the mother or the father, you know, and they're not together. But we ended up getting married and we're together. So it was our kid, you know. Yeah. So what happened was um, my, my I don't know if you don't, do you know Lori, my daughter Lori? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's very aggressive and, you know, she's just like Betsy, you know, very <laughs> outgoing. So she says, I'm going to find her. So she started scouting around and she traced her and she found out that she was in California, then she was in Illinois, and um, she finally found her in Marietta, uh, Georgia. Oh, wow. And so uh, so she called. This was goes back now maybe five years ago. And she called and said um, uh, she got her husband on the phone. And it ended up that she married a guy from Ireland. And Dr. Campbell was from Ireland. And so they he they met and so through him and stuff and they ended up getting married, and um, so he gets on the phone, and she says I'm uh, Kathleen's sister, and she he says I knew this was going to happen I knew someday somebody would call, and so forth so oh, wow. so what happened was Kathleen came home and she was in tears, and and um, he said your sister's on the phone she says I can't talk to anybody and she went upstairs. Somebody had just died in her office, so she was all upset. But my daughter, Lori, didn't know that, so he said, well, she doesn't want to talk to you. So she took it the wrong way, and she said, well, you tell your daughter she's Italian <laughs> so, because she thought she was Irish, right? And they told her that oh, wow. she had an Irish family died in a car accident in Ireland, and that's the story they told, and they never told her about us, although we lived in the next town. She lived in Ridgewood. We were in we were in Wayne, and uh, they never told her anything about us. And I think that they were older, and I think they were afraid that you know if they said something, they, there may be a problem with you know the family. She may want to leave. Who knows what they were feeling? Yeah. But uh, they didn't say anything. So what happened was, uh, my, Lori kept it up, called, would text her and stuff, and she said, "Look, my mother's dying." And so forth, and you know, I can't handle it right now, and I'll talk to you after. And so, her her father died. Doctor Campbell died when he was fifty, fifty eight or something. He was very young. Yeah. And he died when he was fifty eight, twenty five years ago at that time. So maybe it's not thirty. And the mother just died, 
And so then um, she had contacted her and Lori contacted her and they talked and ended up, they said we should get together. So uh, her husband, Derek, who happened to be a really great guy, says, look, you don't know what's going to happen to them. You may regret it. Why don't you just go? If they're, you know, rednecks or whatever, <laughs> we just that's it. We won't talk to them again. Be at least you met them. So they came down to Florida and stayed at a hotel. And we had dinner that night. And, and you know, Lori being aggressive she is and Betsy being outgoing and stuff, you know. They, oh, give me a hug, you know, this, all this stuff, you know. So anyway, we got together. And uh, we talk, we see each other once in a while, maybe twice a year, for whatever reason, we'll get together. We had a family mm -hmm. 80th birthday party for Betsy in Athens, Pennsylvania. So they came with the family and stuff, you know. So we have a relationship with her now. It's never going to be, you know, a mother-daughter or a you know, mother-father, you know, uh, a mother-father, a daughter-father. But... Um, you know, we still, you know, they, they, they still get along real well. And she'll ask some questions about the family sometimes and stuff, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's really more of a friendship than anything else, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I got to ask, I mean, what was it like for you to meet this person? This person that you was your daughter you had never seen or met before. Yeah, yeah. Genetically, she's our daughter. And, and the, the amazing thing is that she's both of our daughters, you know. It's not like she's just one. You know, usually when they you know, an adopted third person right. meets the, the parent, it's usually one parent. The other one's gone, you know, nowhere to be found. But uh, so that was an interesting thing that happened in our lives. Does, does she look like you at all? Does she have a family resemblance? Yes, yeah, she looks exactly like R.C. <laughs> we were, we, when we went, to, when we went, got together and we went out to a dinner and stuff and one of the kids, one of the grandkids started changing faces. You know how that, that app is? You take a picture of one person yep. and, if you, and you switch the faces. Yeah. So yeah. they did that with all the kids. Everybody's laughing and something. They did that with Kathleen and RC and they switched and you couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> they looked, they looked the, same. the same. It was absolutely amazing. That's an amazing story. Yeah. yeah. So, so and they, they said that same thing. They said it's just unreal that uh, they keep looking at her and said, I can't believe you know, she's our sister, you know, and stuff. Yeah. So she's come up to New York to visit and stuff. And they stayed at RC's house one one time, one weekend and stuff. And they partied and stuff. And so she has a little different relationship with the with the kids than she does with us, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, she had a she had a happy a grown a happy a grown up and stuff. And uh, so she doesn't resent anything like you know. And she had a mother and father that really loved her and stuff. So uh, she's not bitter or anything like that, you know. But, you know. And we told her the story. When I, um, when I think about this story, it just makes me think about how different things were in the 50s. That you couldn't have this child because you, you weren't married, you know. Well, that's right. You couldn't, you, couldn't, you, couldn't get, you couldn't get divorces. They were very difficult. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't put a baby up for adoption. That was very difficult. And. There was a lot of problems. Yeah, it was. Betsy was invited to be in, in uh, when she was in college. She was invited to be in a wedding party with the, one of her roommates and stuff. Uh huh. When they found out that she was pregnant, they they dropped her from the from the. Oh no! And wouldn't talk to her again. So that's the kind of thing that happened in those days, you know. Yeah. Now the interesting thing is, my mother never knew 
never knew about Kathleen, and you know she she had passed away before we told everybody and everything. But my mother, if my mother knew about it, she would have taken that baby. She would have said, "Give me the baby," you know, <laughs> even though she had a house full, she would have done that <laughs> because that's the way she was. Yeah, and I wanted to ask. Let's go back a little bit and talk about your mom. What was she like? What was your relationship with her like? Uh, mom, mom was great. So what happened was that she did everything for the family. She was home. Uh, she got the kids off to school in the morning, you know, stayed there with her cod liver oil, and everybody got in line and took their cod liver oil out the door before they went out. <laughs> you know, she uh, we'd come home from school. She cooked all the time. You know, she was always cooking. Um she she just uh, at night we'd go to bed and she'd uh, she'd wash all the clothes and stuff and get everything ready for the next day. What I didn't realize till just recently, I went to the nursing home uh, to visit my mother. She was in Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, she was actually in assisted living at that time. And I walked into her room and there was a picture on the uh, on her dresser, a painting. And I said, "What's that? Where'd that come from, Mom?" And she says, "Oh, I don't know. It was here when I got here." So uh, Camille talked to the nurse, and they were wheeling down down the hallway, and they said there was arts and crafts. So the nurse wheeled her in, and she sat down on a piece of cardboard, piece of a pizza box, and painted this painting. And you wouldn't believe it. It's it's a it's a um, floral arrangement, you know, with a vase and flowers and stuff, and. It was unbelievable. She just whipped it up. And what happened was I um, I got that from Camille had gotten it when she passed away. And so I got it and I, I went to the uh, uh, camera shop and they imposed it onto a canvas. They took a picture of it and posed it onto a canvas. So it looked just like an oil painting when they got done. So I had discs, and I was supposed to send them out to everybody, to the you know all my brothers and sisters. Yeah. And I don't know what happened, whether I did or not. I got to just check with that. That's cool. But anyway, uh, she was an artist, and what she would do at night, when everybody would go to bed, she would sit there and do sketches, she on a piece of pad, on a pad, you know, and stuff, and sketches and stuff. And uh, she when she accumulated a lot, she'd throw them out. Really? So we never saw them. She threw them out. Yeah, we never saw them. Never knew that she did that. I never you know? heard this before. This is a, this is the first time hearing that Grandy was an artist. Yeah, and I said to her, "When did you when did you draw, Ma?" And she said, oh, "I never stopped. <laughs> well, we never saw her draw. You know, yeah, we, we never saw her draw or anything. Only Josephine knew about it. You know, and uh, we none of us knew about that. But what happened was her brother uh, Jerry, who died when he was twenty two years old. And um, he was an artist, a very good artist. And um, then she had another brother, Nat. And then um, now in our family, do you know Joe Alfano, Camille's son, oldest son? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, he was an artist. And he does a lot, did a lot of drawings and stuff and sketches. Um, my, my grandson, uh, Robert. Junior, R.C.'s son, is a, can draw as an artist. Oh, yeah? My uh, Giordano, Mark's uh, daughter, is an artist and can draw very well. So we have a lot of that in our family, you know? Oh, that's I don't know if there's anything in your end of the family. Well, I'm not a very good artist, but my cousin Thomas is a great artist. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He did a lot of, a lot of things, yeah. I know his detailing and stuff. Yep. You know, on the cars and stuff. But... Uh, 
Yeah, I I uh, I knew that. But so it's the the art. There's been a lot of art in our family, and uh, so so my mother was just a, a a real you know housewife in those days. That's what it was, you know. Yeah, she was home most of the time. She did clean and do anything, and uh, she was very generous and very religious. And what happened was um, we didn't have any money, and uh, somebody came to the, the door and begging for money and stuff. And uh, she had $5 and she gave it to her. She says, it's the only thing I have. I only have $5. And she gave it to the woman, right? Her last $5. Yeah. And I remember she, she told my sister Josephine, which who told me years later, she said when she gave her that $5, things seemed to change for the better. Things would always happen. Good things would happen for her, you know? So it was, oh, wow. uh, you know, her religion and stuff. I guess she believed that. And uh, she was just a really good person. She told every kid, I don't know if she got to tell you, but she told all the great-grandchildren and the grandchildren, she'd call them aside and say, you're my favorite. Don't tell anybody. You know? And she told, her, <laughs> she told every one of the kids that, you know. So That's adorable. Yeah, she was just a really great person. It was unbelievable. She is she is so and, far in heaven it's ridiculous. So uh, And were you did she raise you guys to be religious too? Like was was um Christianity like a a big part of your life? No, nobody was really religious. Everybody like we go to church every Sunday. My sister yeah. Josephine goes to church every Sunday. They're probably more religious than anybody because of uh Frank Cacavo. You know, Uncle Frank, he was he was very religious. And a couple right. of his um I don't know if you know Kyle and stuff. That was um, her. Uh, Laura was uh, her her daughter, uh, Josephine's uh-huh. daughter, and she had five boys, and uh, two of them are very religious. One was going to become a priest, you know, and stuff, and then just got talked out of it for some reason. But he's very religious, yeah. and he go, meets with Frank, and they talk about the Bible and stuff, you know, and so uh, they do that, and and then Mary. The daughter, I don't know if you ever met her, she's very religious. She's she's fanatical, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, you know. She's a fanatical I've Catholic. Heard that. Yeah. Does, you know, <laughs> it's just cra- it's crazy, you know. Yeah, 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 totally. But for you guys, it was more like you go to church every Sunday. That's sort of just how it was back then. Yeah, right. We were altar boys and did all that stuff, you know. So, uh, but then got away from it. I I don't think my brother... Your brother, I think, I think your grandfather goes to mass with Elaine, you know, uh, but I don't uh, think Tony doesn't go and Al doesn't go. You know, you know what's funny is I did a, I did an interview with Tony and grand, my grandpa Tom, and um, they were telling me about the nuns at school and how difficult they were, how mean they were to all the kids. Yeah. Do you have any memories like that? Yeah. Oh well, when I was in first grade. Um, we, you know, when you had long hair, you combed it back and guys combed it back into what they call the DA. I don't know if you know that. And you comb both your sides back, you part it down the middle and it looks like a duck's ass. So they called it a DA, (laughs) you know? So our hair was so long. We, you know, we couldn't get haircuts all the time, you know, it was too expensive. So I combed my hair back and I was in the first grade. 
the, the principal saw me, grabbed me, called me into the office, called my mother up, and she said, look, I'd like to make an example of him, you know, to these kids going around with these DAs, you know what that means. She said, yeah, go ahead, no problem. So she took me in every class. Oh, cla- no. Took me to every class. First grade, this is what's going to happen when you come to school with a DA and she'd take a clip of my hair. Go to the second grade, third grade, fourth, all the way up to the eighth grade. She took me in every class and stuff. You know? She did that to you? Yeah, took me. Yeah, I was in first grade. And I came home with chunks of hair all out. I said, Mom, what did you do? She said, well, I didn't know what she was going to do, but she explained to me what it was, and I thought, fine, do what you have to do. <laughs> oh. So that was my mother, you know? <laughs> And um, because she had so many kids that she couldn't keep up with all the haircuts, I'm sure it was probably a lot of work to cut all your hair. No, no, we couldn't. That's right. So our hair's, hair was long. And then once in a blue moon, we get a haircut, you know. So, um, yeah, she so she let, she let the nun do that, you know. And uh, yeah, my mother worked at Swigert's, which is a, 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 a catering hall in Clifton uh-huh. and Thanksgiving, uh, Tony and I worked with her and she would work in a kitchen and clean up and stuff. And we'd be, she'd be, uh, serving the food. So we'd, when we'd serve the food and clean up and stuff, you know, so, uh, when we were, when we were, uh, real young, I guess maybe 10 and we worked on a farm, she says, if you want a bicycle, you have to earn it. So we went to the farm and we picked weeds in the farm. And we got, I don't know, 10 cents an hour or something, you know. And uh, we got together. We had about five bucks when we got done. So she took us down to Patterson and we bought swim bikes. And I don't know, they, nice. pro- they were probably 20 bucks at the time, you know. But uh, she yeah. fa- somehow she found the extra money. I don't know how, you know. When, yeah. when we were in school going to the movies, my mother would uh, give us a quarter so we could go to the movies. It took five cents to get on the bus to go down to the movies, 10 cents to get in the movie, you know, and then we had another 10 cents to get something. And she would give that to Betsy and I to go to the movies, you know. So she was always thinking about everybody else and taking care of everybody else. Uh, She, uh, my sister, Lynn, did you meet Lynn? Was in a wheelchair? Only when I was a baby, only when I was real little. But I did meet her, but I did meet her though, yes. Yeah, she well, she had polyesthetic fiber dysplasia, which is a lack of calcium in the bones. And what would happen was she, um, her bones were so brittle because she didn't have enough calcium and they would break. So she had rods in her arms, her legs, everywhere, you know, and then her face got deformed, but she was brilliant. So all she did was read, you know, she couldn't do anything else. So she read all the time and she would read four or five books a week. And, uh, yeah, very bright. Went to, ended up uh, going to Montclair State College, where my mother would drive her to college, put the wheelchair in the trunk, take her out, wheel her around to her classes, and bring her home and stuff. You know, and she did that for four years. Linda got, um, yeah. got her degree and then went to, for her master's. And my mother took her to school and did everything she had to do again. And they were like an old married couple. They'd go to the movies together and do everything, and they would bicker like 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 uh, you know like uh, adult, adults would do. You know, married couple would, mm-hmm. would bicker. That's with how they bickered and stuff. It was it was funny, you know. And, I, and my sister Lynn, 
later on, she came to work for me. She, she wanted to get a job and stuff, and she was in the wheelchair. So my mother would drive her to work, and she'd come, and she would work in collections. And she was going to call and get collections, so she came up with the name. So she was she wanted didn't want to say Linda Papa because she figured they wouldn't they wouldn't appreciate that. So she came up with the, a bunch of the uh, stars' names, and she came up with Linda Reynolds, Burt Reynolds. So she was Linda Reynolds huh. in office. So that's funny. People would get raises and stuff. So here she comes down. I'm I'm on one end of the office, and she's on the other end. So here she comes down here, cluck, cluck, cluck. She's coming down. She closes the door and she says, here's my resignation letter. I said, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and what's the problem? She says, you gave everybody else a raise. You didn't give me a raise. You don't appreciate me. You don't appreciate what I oh, do. Oh, no. Yeah. So she handed <laughs> a resignation letter. So I had to sit there and talk her out of it. You know, it was just an oversight. You know, Lynn, you're part of the family. I didn't think that. You know, I had to give you a raise to keep you air and stuff. Uh, I just, I don't know what I said, whatever that, you know. So she uh, Did you give her the raise? Gave her a little raise, (laughs) you know. And uh, yeah. And then she would take the kids, you know, with her money and stuff. She'd buy some things and jewelry and clothes. And it was really nice for her. And then she would take the kids to the movies and stuff, you know. And then um, my two sons, Mark and R.C., um, your Uncle Tom... And um, uh, all, um, Uncle David, they get David Gacavo. She'd make them come to see her like once every couple of weeks and they'd have dinner and they'd come to her house and stuff and she would stay with them, you know? And she would say, this is important. This is family. You have to stay together. Blah, blah, blah. So they used to have to come see her all the time, you know? But, yeah. but my, that was instilled by my mother, you know? My mother was all about family and stuff. And, you know, you, uh, you family, you, it's the only thing you have is family. So never, never get in arguments. No, and you want to know something all through the years, we never really got in a real heated argument where we didn't talk to each other or anything like that. That never happened. You might get upset with somebody well, over something, but that was it. The next day was gone, you know, and to this day, nobody, nobody uh, gets in any arguments with anybody and stuff, you know. So uh, it's it's amazing. That was all my mother that did that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, just a loving, caring person, you know, that uh, was incredible. She was incredible. She was she was some woman, you know, and, and my father was basically the same way. You know, he I, I, he'd come to football games and practices every day when I was in high school. He would come to the practices and um, Saturday mornings he would clear everybody out of the out of the kitchen and he would cook me a steak which was a big deal you know so uh yeah he'd cook me a steak because that they felt that that was good protein for football and at that at the time they thought that was good today that that's just not good they say a steak is no good it sits in your stomach and it's a problem you know you don't digest it enough (laughs) so it was was brutal but anyway uh so we they've always cared about us and always you know really uh took care of us. My mother was just unbelievable, you know, and everybody felt the same way. All the kids felt the same way about her, you know, and your brother, Tom, uh, she, she, uh, used to like to play the, the slot machines and stuff, you know, uh, later on in life, she didn't have time or the money and, and, and she was growing, you know, when the kids were growing up and everything, but Tommy would pick her up in a limo 
your your, your grandfather and take her down to Atlantic oh, City. Oh wow! And they'd spend a day in Atlantic City, laying the slot machines and stuff, and they do that, you know, twice a year or something, you know. He, but uh, yeah, that's fun. She really loved that, so he made a big deal of that and stuff, you know. So, you know, as you get older, you you don't realize that I didn't see her enough. I should have I should have gone to see her more. I should have done more things for her, you know, and you, you say that, you know, and we yeah. did a lot for her and stuff, but it was, you know, it, it was never enough, you know, because she was such a good person. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, you know what else I, I wanted to ask you about was, uh, your career as a athlete in Clifton. You, I heard that you were a good football player. Yeah. What happened was I, um, down, from down the park, playing all the time, basketball all day, football in season. We'd go down and have games, and it'd be 20 kids at the park playing sports and stuff. So I get into high school. I played football, basketball, and baseball. So I, uh, what happened was um, my sister, Josephine, was very bright, probably the brightest child. But she couldn't go to college because she had to work and help, help the family. So she didn't go to college. My brother Tony didn't go to college. He went to the service right after that. And then he became a, a computer programmer, you know, and had a big job and stuff. So he did well. I played sports and I was an All-American football player, got a full scholarship to Notre Dame. And that's how I got to go to college, you know. And in your, oh, wow. fa- your father. So you were the first. Hmm? You were the first one in the family to go to college. Right, right. right. And then right behind me was uh, was Uncle Tom, your grandfather. He went to Uppsala College, yeah. and he was a little All-American at Uppsala College. You know, I don't know if you knew that. But uh, he was a tough little guy, you know. he I, I, I was 6'2". <laughs> you know, he was 5'7", uh, whatever. But he was very tough and would hit people. You know, he was unbelievable. Hit people, break their arms. <laughs> you know, he was, he was uh, something else. Yeah, he was something else. And I don't know if you get that from him, but he was always aggressive and stuff. And even in his work, he was aggressive. Oh, we and know about promotions that. and stuff. You know, and you know, became a vice president <laughs> of a big uh, sales. Uh, he was not. He was a vice president of sales for a GE big company and stuff. So he was always aggressive and stuff, and always did that. You know. I can remember the story when uh, we met a guy that worked with him and uh, he went into the office and the guy, he'd say, give me the order. Come on, give me the order. Why can't you give me the order? What, what, I just got to think about Not What's there to think about? Tell me what you want to think about. Let's go. He said, look, take the goddamn order and get out of here. That's how he was, you know, <laughs> but he had the personality to do that. If I had done that, I probably would have gotten thrown out of the office, you know? So, yeah, but, but anyway, I, um, I had the opportunity. I played at Notre Dame a little bit. I had the opportunity to to sign with the Denver Broncos, and Betsy was pregnant and stuff with our first child with Lori. So I didn't really do it. I said, "Ah, the heck with it." I was I was only I wasn't drafted. I was going to be a walk on, and I had to make the team to get a contract and stuff. And I said, ah, "This is crazy." They hired. They just they had drafted a kid from Purdue. I can't recall his name. Was it was an end a split end? And I said, where, where am I going? They gave him a no-cut contract. I said, they're just going to have me out there. And, you know, so I said, the hell with it. In retrospect, that would have been fun to do, just to just go through it and say you did it, you know. But uh, Yeah, so you were almost a professional football player. Well, it, no, 
No, not really, because I didn't, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't go, you know, I could have gone, tried out and who knows, you know, I could have made it, you know, I was, I was, I was aggressive and stuff and I, I could have made it maybe as, you know, fielding punts or running down on kickoffs, who knows, you know, but, um, I just didn't do it, you know, and, and, and in retrospect, that was probably the best thing, a decision I had made because, I had, there were uh, five guys, eight guys that hung around together at Notre Dame. And uh, four of them went into the pros, played professional football. And my roommate, Dave Pivik, was with the Rams for eight years. John Atamian uh, went to Canada and played 12 years in Canada. Uh, Norm McCola played in Canada. And what happened was, uh, they're, they're all dead. What, not, I'm sorry, they're not all dead. What happened was uh, John, uh, Tommy Longo, who was from Lyndhurst, um, ended up with, uh, uh, he, uh, he got sick, mesothelioma, and that's asbestos gets in your lungs. And he thinks he got it from high school, and he died when he was like 72. And um, oh, wow. John Atamian and uh, Dave Pivik played in the pros for a long time. And they're both alive, but they both have the uh, brain dis- the disease, you know. They don't know where they are. I'd go to dinner with him. He's in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'd go over there. We'd go to dinner. He'd go to the bathroom, and he couldn't find his way back to the table. And uh, oh, I, I talked to John Atamian, who's uh, out in Arizona, and he can't remember anything. He can't remember anything. You got knocked in the head too many times? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they, they got brain damage, you know. And so, so you uh, don't regret it, you, you know. They're they're both you know, they're both seventy eight and stuff. So it's uh, and they're still alive, but they're they're still they don't know where they are anymore. So you pay a price for that, you know. When you get a scholarship, you don't pay anything to go to college, but then when you get older, you pay for it with bad knees, yeah. bad elbows, bad back, you know, head injuries. <laughs> that's where you pay for yeah. it. You know, that's that's how you pay for it. So. Um, yeah, so that, uh, that that was my career and stuff. You know, I, I played a lot of sports. Played played sports after college for a little while, you know, and stuff. Played a lot of golf, you know, when I was mm-hmm. older and stuff. And I just stopped playing now. I've got some problems, so I got to stop playing golf, you know. I got the, yeah. the um, I got a melanoma. What happened was when I was 10 years old, I went to the Clifton Pool, the public pool, and I came home and my arms, I couldn't move my arms. And I was so sunburned, I burnt myself badly because I was light complected. Oh, no. I, I had a light complexion, so I burned myself real bad. So what happened was I never had any problem. In fact, later on in life, when I got to be in my 50s, I could get burned and I turned tan. I wouldn't get burned up that much. But um, what happened was I had a, a growth on my neck. It ended up being a melanoma, and uh, now I've got some problems. You know, they they cut it out, but they didn't get it all. It's in my lymph nodes. I'm going to uh, the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa. We go up there three hours, and I get treatments every week. So we'll see what happens. We hope for the best, you know. So uh, they, 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 I'm in a clinical trial program, and they're hoping they've got 75% uh, success rate so i'm hoping that i'm in that success rate you know and stuff so and has that experience changed your perspective on anything 
No, not really. Not really. Yeah, I'm, I'm 79, you know? So you don't think about, oh, my God, I, I'm not, I don't have enough time to live. I want to live. You know, I don't want to have any problems. I want to live another 10, 15 years if I can. But, yeah, I think uh, I don't we would think all appreciate that, that I don't too. Think of dying. I don't think of that, you know? I just think of going through this and uh, just going through it. It's a little bit painful and stuff. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's over. I'm done, you know? They say when after three months, they're trying to shrink the tumor, and after three months, they'll operate. And then um, uh, I have to go see them once a month for the next uh, year, you know, to just get checked up. So they're thinking I'm going to be around after that. So I'm thinking the same way. <laughs> you know? So we'll see That's what happens. Good. You know, I always, I always remember Aunt, when I talked to Aunt Camille, she told me something that Aunt Lynn used to tell her, and it was like, when you have your health, you're the richest person in the world. And all the money doesn't matter if you don't have your health. And I, I always remember when she told me that. Yeah. Well, I had a, I had a friend of mine that uh, drank a lot, a lot, you know, like 20 drinks a day type thing. But he was functional. He was an attorney. He was very successful and wealthy. And, and we'd go to dinner and stuff. And then he got sick and uh, liver and stuff. So they had to put a tube in. Uh, for him to, to, you know, go to the bathroom and stuff, and it wouldn't heal. And the, the thing is, when you have a, a liver problem, the liver heals your body. If you have any injuries or anything, the liver is what sends the enzymes to heal your body. So he couldn't heal. Hmm. And he said to me, I would take a, a, a cold water flat in Patterson with no money to have my health. You know? He said the money doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So, and he... He died at 66, you know. So uh, yeah. it, that's true. You know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything, you know. And if you yeah. have your health, you got everything. So I appreciated the stories about um, about Aunt Lynn. And what, I wanted to ask if you had any uh, remembrances of Aunt Camille. What it was like growing up with her? <laughs> Aunt Camille was something else. Uh, I did. Uh, she was always very bubbly in the grandkids loved her and stuff and she was like one of the kids you know and she would always bring gifts and stuff and she didn't have any money either and she would get five dollar gifts and bring them to everybody and stuff you know and she was very generous and stuff but um very hard-headed she um she had gotten divorced she met this guy uh, john from long island he came over the house and they were serious and stuff and uh, grandma said, I don't want him staying in the house. I, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that. And I sat down with her. I said, Camille, you can't do that. You know, the guys in Long Island, just forget about that. The next day she's moving to Florida with him. You know, she got married. and was moving to Florida. So it was oh, just wow. on a whim, you know, and that's the way she lived. Yeah. That's the way she lived. You know, she was uh, happy go lucky yeah. about everything. You know, she was that way right up to the end, you know, so mm -hmm. she was a fun person to be around, you know. Yeah. And what about the little, you? so you were the oldest brother, right? No, Tony was, was Tony? a year older Tony than was me. Old. Tony was a year older, oh, so right. he's 80, and I was a year younger, and then Tom, and then Al, you know. Mm -hmm. And when, when we were little, when we were young, we used to go to New York. My grandparents, my, my father's uh, parents lived in New York, in Brooklyn. 
And so my father never drove. So, and he moved out to New Jersey and he had to get a license because, you know, he had to go to work and stuff. So he got his license. And right after that, uh, he had a 19, uh, 1937 Plymouth, right? Four door. And we were going to go to New York. So my mother, come on, let's go. Oh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Come on, we can do it. They piled, we piled all the kids in the car, you know, and I guess I was 10 and Tom was six and now was three and that kind of stuff, you know, piled all the kids in the car and off we went to Brooklyn, you know, and we'd have dinner with uh, my, my grandparents and then come home. Well, Al was a little uh, terror when he was young. And he may have been six at the five or six at the time. And he'd run around the house and everything. And my grandmother, get him out of here. Get him out of here. You know, she would drive him crazy. So what happened, she never liked yeah. him. She never liked uh, Al. Oh, no. So, yeah, she never liked him. So what happened was um, when my, my father died when he was 51, right? And my grandfather had passed away at 72. Then my grandmother finally died when my brother was 18 years old. My brother Al was 18. And uh, there was a, a, a five, it was a thousand dollar life insurance policy, $500 to my, my father and $500 to his brother, Uncle Frank. So they, uh, they sent the papers to my mother and my father was dead naturally. So what happened was um, it said, Al, Papa, get this notarized and send it back. So I took Al, we went down to a lawyer's and we got it notarized. Al, Papa, he showed his license, you know, signed it, sent it back in and they sent my mother the $500. So I thought, you know, that was really unbelievable that he, she hated him, you know, and stuff. And she, yeah, she would have been turning policy, over in her grave if you know, his name, <laughs> you know, it was, it was kind funny. of, uh, humorous that that happened you know and so uh your your dad because he was a, he grew up in brooklyn right yes my father grew up in brooklyn so, and um, so he never had to learn how to drive no no they'd walk to work and walk anywhere they, to the stores and stuff they never drove so and my my uh uncle frank who passed away when he was 92 he never drove never drove you know so yeah. uh, and and I remember hearing about when um when your when your dad died uh your mom had to learn to drive she had all these kids and yeah she yep. had to learn what to happened drive was for the she had to get time. the kids around and Camille and Linda were little and Al was little what happened was my uh, Betsy my wife taught her how to drive you know so they had this uh, we had a um, a uh, it was a station wagon a yellow station wagon, Ford station wagon. So I gave it to my mother and she learned to drive and, 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 uh, Betsy would teach her how to drive and she'd come home and say, Oh my God, I thought we were going to die today. <laughs> so, but anyway, she got to drive and, uh, you know, that was it. She drove for a lot of years, you know, and yeah. until she got older, she drove all the time and stuff. And like I said, drove yeah. Linda to college and stuff and, for a master's and everything. They'd go to the movies and shop and stuff. And mm -hmm. she'd always drive. She'd always drive. And she was 49 and, when my father died. You know, he was 51. Yeah, and that, that must have been really difficult for her and for you too, right? Yeah, I mean, how old yeah were you that was a shocker. Happened? We were, 
your, your, your grandfather and I were down by my sister's house in Plainfield and we were working for National Starch and Chemical. And I guess I, Tommy was 20, your father, your, your grandfather was 20 and I was like 23. And, um, we were working for National Starch and Chemical for the summer. So we were living by, uh, my sister's house. And then, um, we got the call that, uh, my father went into the hospital. So we were driving home and I guess uh, my sister Josephine said she had to tell me before. So she said he passed away and I, it was, I was freaking out. It was unbelievable because we were still young too, you know, and you just didn't never thought it's that that was going to happen. You know, yeah, he had, a, he had a, an aneurysm in his leg. And what happened was it traveled to the, to the lungs and to the heart and it hit the main artery. You have two main arteries in your in your heart, that, and they're telling me if it hits the one, you can survive. If it hits the other one, it just shuts you right down, and that's what happened. You know, he uh, he died. My my brother Tony and my mother went to the hospital, and they he died just before they got there, like when they came when they walked in. So that was oh, wow. that was that was tough. That was tough, you know. But uh, and now we're having our issues. We we always said, you know, uh, Linda died, but she had a problem, you know, her whole life. And then it started. Camille got sick. Now she died. Al's got cancer. Uh, he's fighting it now, you know, and stuff. They, they had colon. They took that out. And they just found some uh, two more growths on his groin. So they don't know what it is yet. I haven't talked to him. So he hasn't. I think he this, this week sometime he's going to go. So I have to call him. And um, yeah. And and I have this thing with the melanoma. My sister Josephine is sick. You know, she's got uh, lung cob. She's got that uh, that uh, uh, what the hell is it? CPDO, uh, CP, CP, COPD, COPD. Yeah, she has that problem and stuff. So you know, so we're having our issues now. Everybody's battling. You know, so but you get older, and that's that's what happens. You know. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh we got about 55 minutes of tape here. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um I don't think so. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, I I I know I know every detail about my my life, you know, but uh not the other kids and stuff, you know. Uh Josephine's gone through a lot of hell. She had eight kids. So she went through a lot of sicknesses <laughs> with gallbladder and she, uh, she had um, cancer and stuff. And, you know, so she had some issues, you know, and uh, yeah. through her life and stuff and had it tough, you know. My father used to always say to Frank, she had a baby every year for eight years. She had, she got gotten pregnant and he was very religious, so he didn't believe in any contraceptives or anything. So she got pregnant right. all the time, and he said, "You're going to kill my daughter. You're going to kill her." You know, <laughs> so he would, he would get all upset and stuff. You know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, and then uh, you know, brother Al, have you talked to my brother Al? I'm going to interview him too. Yeah, he's had an interesting life. <laughs> he's had an interesting life. So I'll let, I'll let him tell yeah. you about it, you know, and stuff. I'm curious to hear about it, but I appreciate your stories, and I appreciate the time. Yeah. Okay, and uh, if there's anything I can think of, I'll call you, you know. 
Okay. Well, good luck. It was really nice to talk to you and hear all the stories, and I wish you the best with all of your procedures. Okay, Sam. And and so what are you doing, Sam? Are you doing this for a living? Or what are you doing? Yeah, I, I'm a journalist for a living. I make oh, podcasts, okay. and I... Um, I'm a, and just I do a lot of public radio, and uh-huh. I am just starting off this very big podcast of my own called Hill Crazy, which I'll send to you when it comes out. Yeah, we had this. Uh, I was I was watching. Uh, I don't know. It, I think it was television, and they had this uh, woman on, and she was telling the story of uh, she gave up a baby, and then she finally found her. You know, thirty, forty years later, and. They got together and stuff, and I said to Betsy, "That's nothing, you know, because <laughs> her husband's gone. You know, she didn't marry the guy, and that was no big deal, you know. But our story yeah. is kind of unique that we both got together and got married, you know, and stuff. So it was a kind of a unique situation. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad we have it recorded for yeah. the posterity. Yeah. Okay. All right, Sam. Good talking to you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Okay. Thanks. Bye. bye.